This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Happy 2023, everybody. It's That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast, and I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. Hello. This is a podcast where we talk about SVU, the true crimes that they're based on. We have celebrity guests, and up top, we chit-chat a little bit. We catch up, even though truly we've been spending 800 hours together constantly, because we're in the time machine. Now, yeah. I think we'll, by the time this episode comes out, we we will have missed each other, because yes. I have been out of town for a couple weeks. You, you know, you're doing stuff. But yeah. at this point, we're really... These are kind of super time machine episodes just because of ho- of the of the holidays, you know. We got to let all of our babies at exactly right take a little break ski and we need a break. So, you know, it's before holidays for us right now, but it'll be post holidays. It'll be the brand new year when this comes out. Actually, this comes out on my sister's birthday. She does not listen to the podcast, but happy birthday, sis. And what up, sis? Yeah, yeah, maybe some of you are thinking about your New Year's resolutions. Probably not. Yeah. That's like Do so. You... Well, no, we're just trying to survive at this point. I don't know. Like, what am I going to say? Am I going to really say the same thing again over for the 10th year in a row? Like, it's done. <laughs> I'm not going to clean my room. Right. I like. I have been nicer to my parents. I remember that was one of mine for a few years ago. Yeah, that I had to stop yelling at my parents all the time. Um, Yeah, I don't really have any resolutions. I would like to start to try to work out a little bit, but I don't know if I have it in me. No, my endocrinologist um, ripped me a new one. She goes, you better be out there. You need to walk. You need to get your life together. My, she was pissed at me. Um, my endocrinologist ripped me a new one. Is that merch? <laughs> It was just like, yeah, I would like to get my life sorted. It's just like, what, am I going to chew on a broccoli stalk? I don't know. I mean, I've done it before. I'll do it again. Who cares? Well, one of your resolutions, if you're listening, should be to see us live. I'm just going to do my quick business update here. We are, it it is early January. We will be in Indianapolis on January 12th, and then we will be in Philadelphia on the 19th. New York is sold out on the 20th, but who knows? Maybe you can um, find some tickets somewhere. And then the 21st, two shows in Boston. There are still tickets available for the 4 p.m. show in Boston. And then Hartford, my old college stomping grounds. I'll be there on the 22nd. So that is going to conclude our fall winter tour of 2022-23. So these are your last chances to see us until Until we... We go to Vancouver. Vancouver for Just for Laps. If you live in West Western Canada or anywhere near Vancouver, we will be there for a great festival. You should really make a weekend of it. Go see some comedy. We'll be doing stand-up as well at that. And um, get yourself some of our merch if you'd like. Speaking of Is That Merch, we've got this beanie that is so funny because it says Is That Merch on it and also That's Messed Up. And then it's a great sweatshirt. Lisa's modeling it right now. We will be posting photos of ourselves wearing the, the merch. We just got our own pieces. Yeah, There's really also a fanny pack like that's super cute. 
Yeah, we haven't gotten that yet, but I'm wearing this sweatshirt now two days in a row, and I'm really happy to be wearing it. It's very soft. It's very soft. Um, it's totally soft. Um, also, I want to do a quick shout out to our Sacramento crowd. Thank you for bringing us chocolate-covered gummy bears. Oh, my God. Such um, a lit crowd. That meant the world to us. Um, I even ate the cinnamon bears, the white chocolate bears. I love it that you guys are so thoughtful um, with your gifts. We, you know, it really, it's nice. You guys listen. I mean, somebody knitted me a hat that I've been wearing, the little hat. Somebody acknowledged us in in the forward of their book. The book is called Drew LeClaire Gets a Clue. And I think it's like a, it's like a mystery book for like, I think it's like a teen situation. Like it's like you know, it's a, it's it's more than two hundred pages, so it's not for like a little kid. It's for you know a kid that wants to bust through a mystery. Yeah, it's just really. It's sometimes it's hard to be in the time machine, um, even though we all everyone deserves a little holiday break, and I hope you all um, get one as well. But not only is Kara ruining my life by not being caught up to White Lotus, we now have to wait weeks. Like you guys won't hear us recap White Lotus for like another oh month. You know what we have to talk about. <laughs> We have to talk about the final episode of Rollins. I mean, we haven't talked about that yet. Oh my God. Yeah, we, okay. So, sorry this happened a month ago, but we're in the time machine. This is my thing. I thought the little caper crime is so silly. I was just like, they're investigating in a town. They have no jurisdiction on there with no backup in their own little crime. So silly. Like, spoiler alerts, I guess, if you don't want to get spoiled on this weird, like, episode. But, like, Liv and Rollins spend hours getting a man drunk to bring him back to the hotel and then just arrest him. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, it's like their last hurrah, but Rollins hasn't even confessed to Benson that she's leaving. And it was, it is just so, but I loved their time together. So it really is. But I was I thinking that about if they you. were looking for an excuse to get those two in a motel together drinking boxed wine, then they did it. But the caper with the hidden cameras seemed so far-fetched and crazy. I also was like not crazy about this Noah's half-brother story, but you know that I don't care about Noah's storylines. Like, I can't believe this is the first time this is like coming up. Like, wouldn't there be records that he has family nearby? Like, before his adoption? I don't know. It's really... And the family being so picture perfect was like annoying me. Well, I was just scared that the brother was going to molest him. Like, I'm just glad everything's, you know, hunky-dory. Like, I yeah. I was just on the edge of my seat being like, is someone touch- going to touch Noah? I cannot <laughs> handle this. And so I'm glad he just got like a PlayStation and a nice dinner and they're sweet. And this might be lip, you know, I like tear up thinking about it, but I loved Rollins getting drunk. Also... Could she have not afforded one Hilton? There's not one day's in. She had to be in this motel. It felt like they were at a very, like, like a remote psycho. area. And she I, wanted to, like, be closer to the where the family was. I don't know. That, and, like, we haven't seen, like, Olivia Benson walking out of a shower in a towel before. Like, that was a lot of skin for old Mariska. And then well, don't they, say old. Oh, I don't mean old like that. I no, mean I old. know. I mean O-L-E, old, our old buddy. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I was just surprised. Like even young her, we never saw her like getting out. And like, I just kind of love that now she's like in her 50s and she's like, fuck it, put me in a towel and I'm wet. Let's do it. Like, well, I also loved that she was down for her nudes to be released. She was like, you know what? We yes. asked victims to reveal a lot. Like, I don't care. You can send my nudes. I bet she knew she looked good. Um, yeah. No, I love them getting uh, drunk. I 
you know, I'm glad this all happened because if she had stayed in the house with Noah, there couldn't have been this drunk thing. But like, I yes. think in reality, she would have stayed in the guest room. Like, I really don't think she would have left. She would not have left her kids with a family that she just met. Like, you don't know what the dad's deal is. Like, you don't know anything. Like, I don't think but she would I have hope done that. They're Knowing good. everything she knows. Especially I with the grandma. good people, but it's Brooke, like... Yeah, but we all thought Brooke Shields was good. Yeah, but that took a long time for her to let Brooke Shields in. I know. I just wasn't really... first night. Go have a fucking sleepover with Grandma Sheila. No. So I don't know. I think it's because Noah's always just like putting her on the spot and is like, I don't know. You know, I'm not a fan. But anyway. I know, but I just hope it's good. I just hope that she's able to like, I mean, it's stung when Noah goes, this is the closest I have to family or like, this is a real, this is my real family. He said something like that. And it's yeah. like, you self-centered little bitch. Like, yeah, yeah, your yeah. mom is your fucking family. No, I just want her to have this family and integrate it with her work family and meet someone like I want, you know, I, what she well, told Rollins. Well, all the talk in this episode was wild too. I feel like we haven't heard so much confess confession about how she, we've never really heard her say, for all you'll say about the long looks off into the distance and whatever that we've seen, we've never really heard her come out and say that she's interested in him that way. No, and what I wanted to, like, I just, the postponing joy, like, tell, you know, I'm guilty of it where you give people great advice and you never follow it. And I just felt in that moment, I just love Rollins being like, you do the same, girl. Like, yeah, stop waiting for something to um, enjoy your life. Like, yeah. It's like shit or get off the pot. Like it's like get together with him or fucking get on eHarmony or something. But let's do something else, you know? I know. But Benson I, on Raya. Benson on Raya. Do you think they let in SVU detectives on Raya? Oh my God. A captain? I bet a captain. I bet a yeah, captain. I'm sorry. That was that was insulting. I didn't mean to insult our queen. Um, but anyway. Also, I do want to mention the wedding. I love that it was pre-credits. Like that really made me happy. Um, because we anticipating something you know is going to happen is annoying. So I love that it was just like a great surprise right away, you know, with um, the people who really love them and know them so deeply. And, and I'm like really not horny for Carisi at all, but I did think that was such a sweet morning with like them in the bed and then like their girls coming in. It's like they're a cute family. You know, what's another thing I didn't even think of? It's like, I Rollins does have to get off the force. If Rollins dies, what happens to her girls? Carisi better adopt their asses because what happens to them? They have different fathers. We don't know what her their relationship is with their fathers. What are they going to go to her crazy ass mom down in Georgia or to Kim Rollins? You know what I mean? Like she's got to figure out a plan for those girls. Honey, she yeah, she's going to have more time. What are a professor what teaches two times a week? Like she'll have time. Uh, Carisi if Carisi would have adopted these girls 4 years ago before they yes. were born. <laughs> like, yes. Would have but I'm just saying them. I see why she doesn't want to put herself in harm's way all the time. She doesn't exactly have a plan set up for these gals if something happens to her. Yeah, and she deserves to chill out. I mean, so does Benson with all the trauma they have. But I loved that, and I'm sorry. And this always happens to the new people. So it's like, but I'm not. These new Oh, you're not feeling Muncie. No, it's like cartoonish and not grounded. Her performance is not grounded to me. And maybe I'm acting like too cocky. Well, then, I, got, I got booked in one show, and now I'm going to judge everyone's acting. But like, I... <laughs> I don't like her little... I just don't... I'm not buying it. And it's like, you know this case is important. We have to put Elias in jail. And you flip out on the stand. We don't need another stable. Like, if anything, what's the coaching for? What's all the coaching for if you just literally... It took barely anything to get you, like, 
She just doesn't off listen. Your rocker. And it's like, now we're going to have to watch these two knuckleheads flirt for he, years. I'm to sorry. Come. He is cute, but he does absolutely nothing for me. This Octaviano man, he does nothing for me. So if she's not grounded, he's literally like dragging his body on the floor. It's like so, like, so I'm like bored. He's always like, uh, what happened? Like, I don't know. I just like don't. Yeah, he's I, like he's, a kid in detention. Yeah. It's like, I'm pull not, up your pants, Octavio. But we've know. been begging for more humor and they give us Muncie with her jokes and they're not really doing it. They're not, it's just, th those are munch size shoes to fill and I'm not really getting it. So I don't know what we got to do. I don't know what we got to do. There's growth. I'm sure there's a learning curve. We'll see what happens. I'm in. You know I'm invested. We both are. We'll never stop. Yeah. you <laughs> till we die. Um, I'll be watching you when I'm 65 with my grandchildren. I know. I know. Um, Noah's the new captain. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's start. Let's start. Let's start. We have a great episode for you guys today. Don't go anywhere. Right, we're doing episode Persona, season 10, episode 8. And it says it came out November 25th. And so this is the day before Thanksgiving, I'm assuming. And this is a horrific start to the Thanksgiving holiday. I'll say that much. <laughs> this episode is, uh, it's a toughie. It's haunting. But, I would say a haunting. One of haunting. the most haunting. Yeah. Um, so we open strong. No long walk in the park or a bickering couple. It's straight up. <laughs> Clea Duvall, she looks stressed. She is my queen. Um, I've loved her for decades. Um, I feel like she created the asymmetrical bob before anybody else in the game. Posh thinks it's her, but it's not. It's Clea, baby. <laughs> it's Clea from the faculty, but I'm a cheerleader. And, um, you know, uh, well, Veep more currently, but then Happiest Season, the lesbian Christmas movie she wrote and directed that. So fun, creative, amazing. And But here she's a conservative, rich-looking lady. There's a pussy bow white shirt, a sweater. <laughs> and, you love that? I do. <laughs> and she's asking the pharmacist for a morning after pill, which should be um, an easy transaction. It should be like, hello, Mr. Pharmacist. Can I have this? And then the pharmacist right. goes, of course you can, but this bitch is an anti-choice Karen, and I don't even know how she passed pill school, okay? Um, <laughs> she doesn't want to give it to her, and Clea's like, bitch, I don't need to see a doctor, just give it to me. And the nerve of this woman suggests an adoption. That is outside your scope of your job, you fucking... Yes. Like, these people should be fired. I don't understand how, like, personal biases do not get you fired in a medical profession. Right. You shouldn't right. have opinions. At all. Not not oh. not Bible-based opinions, science-based, science-based opinions, fact-based. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. If you have yeah. any sort of personal leanings where you're not doing things that are fully legal to do, you should not be a pro medical professional. Yeah. You just shouldn't. That should yeah. be a rule. Motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> Clea loses it, though, and she screams at this woman, and, you know, she seems... And then the pharmacist is, like, shocked she's being yelled at, and it's like, well, fuck around and find out. Have you yeah. ever heard of that? So she grabs her and pleads like, I need it. I can't have his baby. And she, oh my God, if you're not already so furious, um, she goes, well, you shouldn't have let him get into your pants. And then a security guard who is no less than 78 years old grabs Clea and throws her into the glasses spinny display. I just like, I can't even believe this. Which is like where my mom exclusively bought her glasses for years. Four oh, years yeah. on the spinny display after the pharmacy. And um, Clea's like, don't do this. Like, you don't understand. Yeah. 
I was raped. So then it cuts to Benson and Stabler pushing the door into the pharmacy break room where they're holding Clea's character, Mia. So we'll call her Mia from now on. Uh And uh, Stabler's pissed. He's like, you cuffed a rape victim. And the security guard's like, she caused a disturbance. It's policy. And obviously Stabler's like, unhook her. And then the pharmacist is like, she assaulted me. I want to press charges in your fucking dreams. They don't respect her at all. And they run out. They're like, yeah, hold your breath, bitch. And um, then they rush out with her to take her to the hospital and it's the credits. So a really action-packed, enraging cold open. And we're back. Um, And um, wildly, Frenchie from Greece is the nurse. I think she's in more than one episode. I don't know. I did search. Hold on. Let me see. Let me look, because I remember being like, oh, Didi Khan. Yeah. Oh, three episodes. You're right. Three yeah, episodes. Yeah, like I've seen her before because I remember every time I go, oh my God, it's Frenchie, you know? Authority, Persona. So that's the Robin Williams one. And then, oh my God, she's in great ones. So she's in Robin Williams. She's in this one. And then she's in Behave with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Wow, three classics, I would say. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, seasons 9, 10, and 12. So that's cool, but I, I, it's just, like, shocking that it's but, her. I, like, I had to take eight double takes, I would say, to see a person from Greece. Thrilling. So she's filling Olivia in and shows photos of the victim's body, and it's horrific bruising. I've never seen bruising like this on this show. Like, it is deep, intense, and all over her body. And then they should talk the pharmacist um, as well. <laughs> so she's like, please find him fast. I don't want to see any more of his handiwork and lets them know that Mia is down to talk. So they go to chat with Mia. So she says it was getting light, so she went out for bagels when a man grabbed her from behind and her eyes are closed as she's talking and she says that he had a knife and if she screamed, he would slit her throat and then dragged her into an alley, knocked her down and like punched her and kicked her and the next thing she knows, she like wakes up and he was on top of her. Um, She says he was white, tall and big, not really um, detailed account and she says her husband and her are trying to get pregnant so she knows that she's ovulating. So she saw the pharmacy and ran in and it should have been like a simple fucking transaction. Like, I don't understand when people think like, I just hate when people's like, it's like the philosophical debates and like your beliefs are outside of what is actually really happening. Like, yeah, no one cares about what you're pondering or like any, this woman was just attacked and then then you're making it more and more worse. It's like, It really sickens me. Yeah. So we cut to a pretty day in New York and O'Halloran's meeting Benson and Stabler in the alley. And the issue is there's a bunch of motor oil leaked all over, but so, and there's no evidence of an attack and she would have been dirty. She would have had oil all over her clothes. So sadly, she's been caught in this lie, but clearly she's been abused and was raped. So it hits them finally that the bruises were all hidden by clothing, which means this is a classic DV case. Fuck the purpose, her husband. So they go to Mia's home. She answers and says it's not a good time. Um, But her husband's not home yet, but he's going to come home from work soon. They're like, we know you lied. And then at that moment, her husband walks out of the cab with flowers. Classic abuser. um, uh, What is it? Not terror. Behavior. Classic abuser behavior. Mm -hmm. He does not like Stabler and Benson and is like, hey, honey, you're going to introduce me to your friends? And they handle it. They're like, hey, we're just like investigating a string of burglaries in the neighborhood. And he goes, don't worry. We have tons of guns. We're safe. So not good. Oh, my God. This man is a full nightmare. Oh, yeah. He kisses her cheek hello and gives her flowers. And he asks her for dinner because he's starved. And she's like, well, I wasn't expecting you till six. And she is clearly scared. Acting is so good. And he is pissed that dinner is not ready. And it's like, 
But if you came home at six and then the dinner was cold, you'd be pissed. Too. Like, what is happening? Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't think it's about the dinner. This is an abusive cycle. <laughs> it's not about the pasta, but yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you're the one who decided to switch up your schedule, sir. Um, the detectives leave and are like, we got to do something about this. But she's on a tight leash and might not, like, talk. And we can't um, touch him because he's never... He, she's not going to speak. At, but they have to do something because he's going to use her for target practice, they say, if we don't help. So maybe there's another way. Of course there is. So they head down to the basement apartment where they're greeted by a happy gray-haired man who's super pumped to see them. And he's like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm a huge crime buff. And... <laughs> I think we got to post that on the Insta and um, with the caption on. Yeah. This man in a wheelchair who's like, fuck yeah, give me the deets. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, Linny, um, you know, and so he calls for this, you know, someone named Linny. And then he says if his apartment wasn't in the basement, he would be spying on everybody, like rear window. And it's like, <laughs> do you like crime or are you a freak? Like, we don't... <laughs> I don't know, well, sir. actually, my friend, um, my friend Rachel, who you know, has a cool apartment, and it's like across the street from an old hospital that is now apartments, and she has opera glasses, and she just kind of checks out what people do. She's not like she doesn't like I don't think you know get too deep into it, but she's like, yeah, you see, ladies taking off their bras at the end of the night, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> like a lot of just New York behavior. It is kind of fun to be like a little voyeur. I don't think she's doing it in a creepy way, but maybe it is. Yeah, but I also do think people are taking off their bras outside of New York. Oh, you mean Rachel's behavior is New York behavior. Yes, yes. <laughs> that it was the bra taking off and I was no. like, I don't know, this might no, be no, a no, bodega no, no. incident. Everyone might be And pissed. also, yeah, like, also, I used to get changed in front of my open window all the time because I don't care, but like, if you care, get you should get blinds, right? Wait, have you seen this? Um, It's like a meme text, whatever. So someone texts this woman is like, hey, it's your neighbor. Just want to let you know that me and my husband can see you topless smoking a bong. And the response from the woman was, do I look cool? <laughs> I haven't seen that, but that's the best, ex that's the best response I've ever heard. Yeah, I've, it's one of can my Can you take peeves. a picture? I would love to see it from your angle. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> it's a pet peeve when um, like women expect other women to act differently because they're, husbands or boyfriends are around. It's like, that's your problem. He's I think your I've, fault. Yeah. I think I've talked to you about how I had an across the alley neighbor in New York who, like not the alley, because there aren't really alleys, but backup building to back of my building, who worked for the Martha Stewart show and would leave me letters telling me how my TV was huge. And when I tell you I had the smallest flat screen well, TV of all time. Yeah, Isn't this Lisa. the one I have? Yes, it's the one I gave Lisa. I mean, it's not big. You know what I mean? Like, no. And she'd be like, your giant flat screen is glaring into my apartment. And I would like write her letters back being like, get blinds. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to not watch TV. Like... Well, I but think then I realized she was working at Martha Stewart and that maybe she was stressed because I've heard from a friend that Martha really blamed her for a lot of things. Yeah, but I think we started this podcast post my West Hollywood apartment. Oh, but yeah. I had a really wild neighbor who finally was like, your TV is so loud and I wasn't even watching TV. I was playing like quip, quip quiplash on my laptop. And so I ran out with my laptop and it was all caught on this quiplash show I was doing. But I was just like, I want, I'm not allowed to fucking Zoom with my friends. I mean, <laughs> it was, she's just, it, it was, because she would also say like, every day, the, like the volume, she's like the volume. And I was like, actually the remote 
the batteries have been dead for days and I haven't changed them. So the volume hasn't changed at all. Like you are being caught in lies. You are truly (laughs) just ruining my life. And honestly, I haven't gotten my revenge. And if she still lives there, I'm not opposed to it. Yeah. Let's go back. Well, my favorite was uh, my two friends uh, moved all of my stuff across the country. I paid them, of course. But when they unpacked all my stuff, they were so tired. I have a photo of them both passed out on my couch sleeping, watching Seinfeld. And she said, she called the woman I was subleasing from saying that she had to call the sheriff's office because I was partying so loud. And it was like truly two men sleeping on my couch while Seinfeld played. (laughs) And I had to some people that's a raging party, I guess. That's wild. Wow. Yeah. And then she sicked the other neighbor on my floor against me. Like she sicked this woman who had less going on. And so then it was like. Yeah, that is it though. They have nothing going on. They're just like, I got to complain about something. Like if you sit in silence for too long, then you have to focus on like what you should be doing, what you need. And and she was just like, every noise was like, she had to up like, Yeah, I hear noises. My guy, like, that's what happens in an apartment. And if you don't want to hear noises, don't live in an apartment building. Yeah. But like, yeah. And if you can't afford it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's just like, I live in a house and it's still like loud motorcycles, dogs barking, people moving their trash cans. Like, there's loud noises. Like, if you live in a city, even, like, you need to move into the woods if you want total quiet. Sorry. I hear people fucking. I hear my neighbors snoring. Like, yeah. I don't I don't understand. That is life. Okay. So we're back. We're back to this abuse. Okay. So um he's so Lenny runs in and he goes, uh, uh, and she's wearing what my mom would wear, like a colorful apron with a little shirt. Like this is my mother's fashion fashion uh twin. <laughs> they yeah. dress fully the same. <laughs> he calls her Grace Kelly. And she's not as excited as her man about the cops being in her house. And she's like, is something wrong? And they, um, they're they like, we just have some questions about the upstairs neighbor. And Lenny immediately goes, did something happen to Mia? And the husband's like, oh, that fucking husband. And she's like, Jonah, please don't get involved. And it's like, you just, you just actually started the involvement. <laughs> they ask if they've heard anything last night. And she says no. And he's like, babe, I already have MS. Like... Uh, you know, do you have Alzheimer's? Then we're really in trouble. And then he says to like to the detectives, yeah, there was an unholy ruckus. He keeps spilling the beans and she's like, zip it. What if he kicks us out? Who's going to help us? We can't help you guys. Sorry. And she's like, where else are we going to find a rent controlled apartment with wheelchair access? And we'd have to leave the city. And she walks back into the kitchen and he apologizes for his woman and says she's scared of everything and hasn't left Manhattan in 30 years. Damn. Not even a walk across the bridge? Jeez. <laughs> Benson walks to the back to meet um, the wife while the men chat in the front. She's trying to get info and pleading on her emotions. Like, listen, Mia is covered in bruises and she's mushing things in a pot and the Foley, art- the Foley artist is really killing it, right? There's just like meat noises happening. <laughs> but she is just really scared to lose this apartment and doesn't want to get involved. And Benson's like, there are laws to protect tenants. Like, who will protect Mia? And she finally gives in and says, Brent is a monster. All smiles and good looks, but underneath there's only ice, no heart. There's a few seconds where they stand in silence. And the next thing we see is Mia coming down to the basement apartment. Like, Lenny, what's up, girl? What do you need? And she sees Benson and is like, no, 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 no. I have to go. And Benson's like, please, I want to protect you. Please let me help you. She turns um, Mia to the mirror and unzips her shirt and makes her look at all the bruises in the mirror. And Lenny's like, oh, poor child. But she's wearing like a sexy nightie with all the bruises. And is like, so do abusers like, like the bruises? I know. 
Yeah, like what, probably. I mean, they're probably like, this is my property. I do to it what I do to it. It's just confusing yeah. to me. But then do they know they're doing something wrong when they see the bruises or they're like, hell yeah, I did that. Like, I'm. it's just, I, I'm curious I'm sure. at the psychology of all this. Yeah, I'm sure it's like they disassociate and they think this is, this was a punishment that was deserved. And so, you know, like that's, this just, that's what happens when you get your punishment, you know, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just literally just all conjecture coming from me, but. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so just fucked really up. really hard to Ugh. watch. Yeah. She starts to cry and uh, Benson tells her he's not going to change. You have to. She finally confesses what really happened to her. He wanted to have sex and said, let's make a baby and knew that she was ovulating because he tracks it and takes her temperature every day. But she doesn't want to have a child with him. She told him she wasn't feeling well and called her a selfish bitch and then hit her and kicked her and then raped her. She apologizes for lying. Linny hugs her and tells Benson, I'll take care of her. You go arrest the bastard. They arrest his purple tie ass on the stoop and they say he's arrested for rape and he asks, where's my wife? And they're like, well, that sounds like a confession to us. He says they're making a huge mistake and that Mia wouldn't say shit against him. But we are in court. Rape one, assault two, Greylick versus Langan. Sexy versus sexy. <laughs> Langan does the approach of how Mia's a liar. Uh, Bale said is at 50 grand though. And he's like, great, I'll post it ASAP. And Kim is quick to be like, okay, well, um, we still have to protect our girl. So basically we get no contact and no guns allowed. And he brings up the second amendment, but Judge Arthur Cohn is like, I'll sleep easier knowing you don't have any guns. So we cut straight to Mia stressed with Benson like at the Upper East Side house and is like, fuck, I can't believe they let him out. And Benson's trying to reassure her he's not allowed by the house. And she's like, yeah, if he was, I'd be fucking dead. And Linny's there too. Um, Mia has no family. Her parents are dead and she was the only child. And they only hang out with Brent's friends so they'll never believe her. And he cut all her cards. She tried to go to the grocery store, no money. So no debit, no credit cards at all. Yeah, I think women... Um, should be given basic income by the government at all times so pe people can escape. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I and it increases if you have kids. I just feel like that's what I believe. Yeah, yeah. If there's so much domestic violence happening, like, I just feel like the government should be just paying women into a fund. Yeah, and always, like, make sure you have your own bank account, I feel. I don't know. I know that that's probably impossible in this girl's situation, but if you can... I know it seems fun right after you get married. Combo everything, but it's like have your own like resources. You never know what's going to happen. No, but this is like, um, you know, she goes into it. He's like a um, a classic abuser. He knows exactly how to isolate right. and do all right. of that. And it starts small and it starts cool where he's like, I don't want you to work. And she's like, oh, cool. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, a nightmare ensues. But yeah, so she has no money anymore. And Lenny's like, well, maybe you can go to a shelter. And then this is my favorite line reading of all time. Cleo Duvall is just like, like a homeless person. She's disgusted by this idea. She's like, I grew up super poor and now I'm on the Upper East Side and now I have to go back to eating government cheese. And Benson's like, don't worry, you'll get a divorce, you'll get money. She goes, no, I signed a prenup. Uh, she met Brent at 18. He made her drop out of college and she's fully dependent on him and she's never had a job. And Ugh. Benson's like, she goes, listen, I know this won't be easy, but you'll make a new life. 
Lenny tells a story about a friend of hers who escaped a domestic abuse man and now is with a man who really, really loves her, who would rather die than hurt her. And then she tells Mia, like, you deserve this too. So she packs up, gets her ID and papers, and heads off to the shelter. The camera pauses on Lenny with the dramatic music for a moment as she contemplates. Now we're in a safe house in Brooklyn on November 4th, and Benson's listing off all the rules and the therapy schedule um, as Mia wheels her stuff in, and she is not happy. She's like, I like that Brent is free and now I'm in a prison. And Benson's like, the rules are here to help you. And she cuts her off like, I know all about rules, okay? Like, you don't have to fucking tell me. Brent has a ton of them and before that, it was my fucking mean dad. I've there. She's like, I can't remember a time when someone did not tell me what to do. And we're at a walk and talk back at the precinct with Benson and Stabler chatting about the case. Uh, Trevor Langan walks right in as Stabler goes, Brent's going to prison. And he says, I don't think so. Mia recanted her charges on video. So um, they're like, well, I bet he forced her. And he goes, no, she was just guilt. She just has a guilty conscience. And I'm just so glad that he grew as a character. And because he's so hot and, you know, with Mariska, maybe we let it slide. But he is a real piece of shit for a long time yeah. on the show. Yeah. He loves calling victims liars, reframing the narrative. Like, yeah. But I also don't understand how you're so proud. Like, you did see the bruises. I know that's his job and he's being, I'm I'm assuming, paid very well by this rich man. But like, you don't think you're wrong. Like, I just, the glee. He could have been like, fuck, you know, she recanted, yeah. this sucks. But like, the glee that he finds. And I hope after, you know, he lives with guilt for the rest of this character's life, this non-real person. But I just, <laughs> what a piece of shit. Benson starts to rush out like, fuck, I gotta talk to her. And he's like, he's she's at home with her husband. Brent opens the door in a Hugh Hefner style outfit while his wife is making him brunch. She wants to check on her as like a wellness check and threatens him. And like, he will be arrested if he tries to stop anything. And he is so mad. He's seething because he can't hit her. So he has to let her in for a wellness check. And he yells, Mia, come here. And it's so, it's just like really fucking disgusting. And then he condescendingly and quietly to Benson goes, please. She walks in and says, everything's fine. And Benson is like, are you sure? Maybe a shelter wasn't a good idea, but there's other options. And she's like, I want to be home with my husband. I made a mistake. Brent forgave me. And now please let us get on with our lives. And he says, yeah, and our breakfast. And waves condescendingly, if you can imagine. Like, I don't know. what. How do you describe this wave? Like, like a little, little babe. Like what, how, the way you would wave to a kid. Like, yeah. hi. You know, yeah. like, bye-bye. You know. Yeah, really not a good wave. And um, then he goes, oh, and tell your partner I'd like my guns back. Ugh. Benson leaves hesitantly, and you know she's not going to leave. So she goes down to Lenny in the laundry room after Jonah let her in, and she's like, so much for helping Mia. And Benson's like, she wasn't ready, and I pushed her, and I agree with Lenny here, like... Spare me your self-pity. This is one of Benson's flaws. She's always making it about her sometimes. Not always. I'm not going to say that about our queen. But like, I hate when it's like, it's my fault. Oh, it's me. And it's like, okay. Yeah. What do you want from us? It is your fault. You did make a mistake. You might have pushed her too much. Like, it was too drastic. Like, Spare me the self-pity. I like that Lenny just does not have it. But then I turn on Lenny. Don't worry. And then Lenny's just like, so you care, uh, but Mia doesn't. So what's the fucking use? And Benson sees a door a few stairs up in the laundry room. She's like, where does this lead? And Mia responds, it's the old servant steps and that they share the laundry. And before Benson even says anything, Lenny is like, oh no, you're not staying here. And Benson's like, it's the (laughs) only way for me to protect Mia. And Lenny is like, she made her bed. Now she can lie in it which is quite harsh, lady. Yeah. 
And also, this is so classic SVU, like she cannot stop doing the laundry. She cannot. <laughs> and um, she straight up is like, go home, detective. But she can't. And she starts reminding Lenny of the story of her old friend she was talking about from earlier. And finally, she gives in while violently scrubbing out a stain. And we cut to Benson in the laundry room reading the paper. And right as she puts down the paper um, and sighs, we hear screams from upstairs. He is screaming at Mia to get on her knees. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, that's not enough. Your sorry's mean nothing. And she's like, let go of me. And he's like, don't tell me what to do, you stupid. And while the yelling is happening, Benson is trying to kick down the door. And finally it breaks. She runs up the stairs and we see her shocked face as she says, oh my God. And she and Mia is straight up standing over the kitchen island, staring at Benson with a knife straight in her heart all the way in. Ugh. He stabbed her so deep. The knife is just like, it's bad. It's like, um, I don't think it's sternum, but it, it's just the center of the chest. It That's is. long heart. Yeah. It's like, there's, this is a, this is a gruesome yeah. attack. Um, Benson and it's like, because he doesn't have his guns to like threaten with and he's probably not as good with a knife or something because it's like, did you want to kill her? Like, don't you like having this person around that you can just like absolutely abuse and have at your beck and call? Like, did you like, you know what I mean? Like you could have just slashed her. Like there's other ways to hurt her, but he stabbed her right in the fucking heart. That's like no accident, you know? No. And I mean, this is why it's so important to help victims escape because this is mostly how women die <laughs> is at the hands of yeah. their partner where it's like one throw to strong at the wall and that's that or you're throwing you know what I mean it's right like, right it's quote unquote an accident but you were trying to hurt her you maybe weren't trying to kill her but you were still trying to hurt her you know yeah um but and we you know we know this now but like and once a woman is pregnant the the chances of being murdered by your domestic partner raises so much higher yeah. too. um but we never find out if she was by the way we don't know if she was pregnant yeah. Probably too early to tell anyway, because he kills her like right out, like days after this, the marital rape. Yeah. It's just <sighs> like having someone that's just like scared of you at all. Like what a horrible life. Like this episode is one of the more powerful episodes yeah. of this show. Um, but this guy's a coward and he starts screaming, she attacked me. Benson throws his ass on the ground and cuffs him and then runs to attend to Mia convulsing on the floor and tells Lenny to call 911. Um, she can't breathe though and there's blood pouring from her mouth, squirting from the knife. She's trying to contain it and she just dies on the floor fully covered in blood. And Benson is shocked and Lenny can't even dial the phone because she's so horrified by what she has just witnessed. And Benson's... Um, walking and we hear Craig and ask how she's holding up and Benson is like how do you think and he's like you did everything you could and she's like I could have arrested her for filing a false rape report and it's like babe you slept in a laundry room you did the best you could Craigan also says, I've never seen you lock up a victim. And she's like, oh, God, I should have, you know, she would have been alive. And Craigan's like, sooner or later, like, this would have happened. Mia made her choice. And Benson's like, are you fucking blaming the victim? Is it her fault? And he goes, no, but it's also certainly not your fault. Benson walks out of the apartment and we see a blood-soaked shirt. And Lenny is like, oh, are you happy now? 
It's like, geez, bitch, she is cutthroat. Yeah. Um, so then Lenny goes, was it worth it, Olivia? You couldn't leave her alone. You just pushed and pushed for what? For that, and she runs into her apartment. Jonah calls for her and says, don't let him get away with it. And in that moment, Benson um, stares into the cop car and stares at Brent, and he's in the back seat crying, trying to act like he fucking cares. No, he's crying because his life is over. He doesn't fucking care that he killed his wife. Yeah. It's like a cop was hidden in your crawl space, dude. Like, you're not getting away with this. No. And we're in the lab with O'Halloran, and he also said the evidence is solid like a rock. And the suspect kit on him doesn't show a scratch. So he's going away for life. There's no self-defense. Like, there's no shot in hell. He's not going to jail forever. And I know it's bad to do this, and we get mad at the detectives for doing it, but I hope he gets the shit beat out of him every single day in prison. Yeah. And he tells her that they also solved another murder. And she assumes like, oh, he's killed before. But O'Halloran's like, no, not unless he started young and had a sex change. What is going on? Basically, they found fingerprints on the kitchen phone that matched an old homicide from 1974 of a man named Vincent Cresswell, who was shot six times in his sleep in his apartment and then says his wife, Caroline, was arrested at the scene, hands her a photo and says, and then she escaped and has been a fugitive ever since the early 70s. And it's Linny. It's fucking Linny. Casey is shocked. Um, yeah, this is such a good show. And this is Brenda Blethyn, by the way. Um, and she's a star of stage, TV, and film for 40 years, 87 credits. And from 2011 to 2022, um, she was the star of the show Vera, which is mur a murder mystery series set in Northumberland, Northumberland on the England-Scotland border. I bet my parents have definitely seen that. They well, love and this definitely your uncle. Yeah, yeah. They love this <laughs> masterpiece shit. But I do too. Like, as I'm getting older, I'm like, I'm becoming them. I love British, like, crime shows so much. Um, I want to watch it. If, you know, I... I yeah. Because I love I, that part of the world, too. Yeah, and I forget where I know her name from. She was nominated for something, I feel like, in one year on the... In the um, Maybe Oscars. Maybe for Vera. Oh, I for can't Oscars. remember. Yeah, I think for Oscars she was. But, like, now I'm... It. She's a Golden Globe, BAFTA, and Cannes Festival Award and two Academy Award nominations. What are they so for? Let me see what they're for. Okay, best I found Supporting it. Actress and Best Actress. Yeah, tell me, you found it? Because I'm not. Um, so she was nominated in 1999 for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for something called Little Voice. Okay. And then in 1997 for Best Actress in a Leading Role for something called Secrets and Lies. Yeah, that's what I was saying before. I was like, when I saw Secrets and Lies in her IMDb, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's her big Wait. role. I never saw it. She was nominated for an Emmy for this. Oh, really? Yeah, it says 2009 nominee, Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series, Law & Order SVU for playing Linny. Yeah. But I don't think, she didn't win because I think the only people who have ever won are- No, she didn't. It nominee. Yeah. I'm like, who's one? Cynthia? And Cartillard. What's her for? No, no. Um, The other French woman. It's not Marianne Cartillard, but it's, I know, she's but... French. It's <laughs> Isabelle Huppert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who, uh, Neo Bear begged to be in it and said, babe, I'll get you an Emmy. Just do this. And yeah. He was right. He delivered. <laughs> he delivered. I think other people have been nominated, but those are the two big winners. I wonder if a man has ever... But she won the BAFTA for Secrets and Lies. 
And we're back um, to looking at the photo while behind her is present-day Linny, and she's explaining that she's been dreading this day for 34 years. Her husband wheels in, and he's like, what's going on? And she had never told him. And he's like, wait, what the fuck? When did this happen? And she met her husband three weeks after she escaped from jail. She slept in churches and on the subway and stole food and wallets. And one night it was pouring rain and she went into the diner and bought a bowl of soup and he saw her sitting there wet and cold. She told him that she was there on vacation and a con man hustled her at the airport. So she lost her suitcase, money, everything. And Jonah took her home and saved her life. And then we go into a famous SVU cut back and forth from each of them talking about each other in that day. Um, She says he was an answer to a prayer. She says he was a character out of a Dickens novel like orphanage. She had nothing, no parents. Um, No, then she says her parents disowned her after the arrest. And Benson asked if she ever wanted children. And he says, we tried for years, but she was infertile. And then she tells Benson, though, the truth, which is that she was on birth control all these years because if she had a kid, then she would go back to jail and lose her kids. So she just couldn't do it. So this is so complicated. And I think this episode does a really great job of showing how complicated abuse is and being a woman is. And... I'm just impressed with SVU over and over again. She said she's been living in fear of being recognized every day. And that's why there's no travel, no work. And he's like, is her marriage even legal? Like, I don't even know her name. Her name was Caroline, but that name is dead. And she is Linny now, which is a really cute and unique name. I don't know how she came up with it. (laughs) Benson asks what happened. Um, So basically, they met at 17, her and Vincent, at an anti-war protest. Vincent's the dead man that she shot. Okay, so they met at 17 at an anti-war protest. Vinny was standing on stage doing poetry. She said it wasn't good, but he was passionate. And this truly does describe how most male comedians get dates. Like, (laughs) they're so terrible, but I guess, you know. It's all they care about. So it feels (laughs) like passion. (laughs) Yeah. They fell in love and with each other and the anti-war movement. Uh, But then the war ended, but he just wouldn't move on. And he was still just like super angry and a failed poet. And he took his anger out on her because his poems really sucked. And he blamed her for his bad poems. And it's like, fuck you. But he liked booze and drugs and he would beat her up all the time. Bruises, black eyes. One time he choked her until she passed out and then bought a gun. And when he was drunk, he would talk about using the gun for suicide. And then one time he was like, I'm going to shoot you and then I'm going to take my own life. And she knew he meant it. And so she had to get away. And Benson's like, why didn't you leave? Which she knows that's not a good question. Right. I guess we all always want to ask it. Like, I don't know. Right. Did you ever watch the Julia Roberts movie Sleeping with the Enemy? Yes. Yeah. Huge. Huge, scary movie of my childhood. Why didn't we watch it as children? I don't know. It was definitely like a, we're going to watch Sleeping with the Enemy this weekend, like an event. Like it was so scary. And there's barely any like blood in it. It's just like the scariness of that man. And is that man in it? Is he not? Hold on. I know we're doing a lot of fucking IMDb-ing right now. Can I just look up one thing? Wait, they should sponsor us. Why is IMDb not doing ads on our podcast? (laughs) Like what what are they doing? Uh, Patrick Bergen? Oh, Patrick Bergen. I was thinking of a different guy. Never mind. No, but this guy is scary. Yeah, scary. Um, But yeah, I just remember like the cans. Like she had to keep all of the cans of food in one direction. But that's how crazy it is because how did he find her? Because she fakes her own death, like fakes a drowning. And then... 
When he, he finds, finds her, her, she goes into her pantry, right? And all the cans are organized. And that's when she knows he's found her. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm like getting chills. I'm like scared yeah. already. Like Let's- truly one of the first movies that I think really, really dramatized like the tr- the terror of domestic violence, you know? I don't feel like a lot of movies were doing that before that one. That was a big one. I also just don't know how that's... I just can't believe I watched it as a child. Like, it came out in 1991. What I, what, I was five? Like, it's yeah. so fucked up. That's really young. <laughs> Maybe we saw it later, but I was still really young and scared. <laughs> and she's like, I was trying... Okay, so she asks the dreaded question, why didn't you leave? And she's like, I was trying to. And she had been stashing away change from the groceries and she hid it in a shoe and she had almost $50. But then he found it and he w- uh, his brain went straight to you're a hooker. Yeah. To have that much cash. And um, if she wanted to be a whore, he was going to treat her like one and then raped her. And she was crying and um, she's nodding as she's explaining all of this. And after he went to sleep, she took the gun and shot his ass up. I'm sure the world did not miss him or his poems. And she heard the siren and the neighbors called the cops and she had the gun in the hand when they broke down the door. And so they took her away and she never told them that she was raped or anyone. She's never told anybody until right now. Um, Graylick and Cragen are watching this whole thing go down and they're like, this sucks. Like marital rape wasn't even a crime back then. They would have, we would have never charged her today. And Graylick's like, yeah, let's just give her probation. And then out, like a bat out of hell. I can't even believe it. Judith Light appears and she goes, nope, not anymore. I'm going to return to the DA's office for some unfinished business. She barges into interrogation and says, hi, Caroline, remember me? And she does remember her. She was the prosecutor from the case. And she goes, and I still am, arrest her um, and charge her with escape in the first degree. She's as cold as ice. Benson is shocked and Judith is cold as fuck. Um, I don't know what's colder, as fuck or as ice, but the bitch is cold. (laughs) And she demands she be called by her old name. And Benson Mirandizes her. And now we're in court with her favorite bailiff and defense attorney, Julia Zimmer, who is from the famous episode Zebras, where she suffocates in a car. Now, her husband is watching with Olivia. Uh, Jonah. So Judith obviously wants to lock her ass up because of the prior escape. So that makes sense. But Julia Zimmer's like, can we please do home arrest? Um, She needs to take care of her husband. And then Judith, at her worst, goes, hire a nurse. At least she won't shoot him. So, so Bitch. aggro. Like, this is a, these are like elderly people. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and no one, even the judge is like, okay, relax. Okay, like, yeah. Like Take everyone. It down a notch, Judes. Yeah, everyone is upset, but she is getting remand, which sucks. Benson runs to Judith, who's like, oh, are you here to fucking lecture me? And Benson's like, you're being gross. Like, what? And Judith is like, oh, you don't even know, do you? You don't know what happened. You didn't ask her how she escaped. So now it's story time from, what'd you say, Jude's? So yeah. basically, Linny, aka Caroline, asked for a meeting for a plea bargain, and she climbed out the bathroom window, and it was her fault, and for years, everyone made fun of her, so it's personal. So now she's getting back at something from so long ago that's so stupid, um, because nobody respected her anymore, and it took her a long time to get her career back in action. And she explains how it sucked for women, duh. So the DA at the time didn't want a man yelling at Caroline on the stand. It would look bad, so she got this case um, after he had to ask for her husband's permission to try this case. 
So now she's going to put her in jail because she set back the image of women prosecutors and and because Judith never got to work in homicide again. And it still seems petty. It's been 40 yeah. years. We know you live in a townhouse. We've seen it. You, you're rich, bitch. Everything worked out. Yeah. Yeah. But when confront, but I wonder if her husband died or they got divorced or whatnot because she wants to fuck Stabler. Or maybe she's just It could be just cheat. flirtation. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder who she's married to. Like a professor? We never find out, I don't think. I don't think we ever find out Judy's uh, or Donnelly's backstory or personal life. But then Benson confronts her like, so for revenge? And she goes, no, I got over being bitter a long time ago. I'm here for the victim, Vincent. And Benson's like, she was fucking beaten. There was no shelter. And Judy is like, you don't need to remind me how hard it was for women, Benson. And then she goes, listen, she snowed you. Don't feel bad. She snowed me too. And she starts reading a letter that she got from Caroline back in the day that says, please help me. She wants to plead guilty, but she has a huge problem and she needs to meet in private. So Donnelly met her and that's where she ran away. And Judith never found out like the reason she wanted to talk or anything and believes that this is a ruse. She thinks Linny is a big time player. So now we're at Rikers and Benson and she tells Benson like, leave me alone. What do you want? But Benson wants the truth. She wasn't planning on escaping, Linny explains, but there was a window open and she ran. She just took it. Um, but then Benson brings out the letter and goes, Tell me about this letter or you're going to be in jail forever. And I actually checked the um, escape. You only get a max of up to five years. Interesting, because in my true story, it's different. I wonder, did she get charged for both? I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. Because I was so curious um, what it was. And I looked it up. And this was just like on the Google main page of Wikipedia. It was just like, you could go to prison for up to five years. But I don't know. If you're serving like a life sentence or like a long sentence, I think it's worth trying to escape if you only get five more years. (laughs) Who gives a shit? If you're listening to this podcast and you're serving life... Give it a shot. Come on. Yeah. I would love if we had a jail population of <laughs> listeners who are into our ACAB vibes. But even the threat of jail forever, Lenny's like, fine, I don't care. I deserve it. Leave me alone. And Benson's like, just please, like, tell the jury what really happened. Why did you run? She says she can't tell her. And Benson keeps pushing. If you don't want to help yourself, fine, but then do it for Jonah. And so, and she's scared because he won't forgive her. Benson is like, you know, Jonah deserves to know you've been lying to him for a long ass time. So finally, she starts revealing more and more layers to her past. So she cried and he said, shut up. So this is back after the rape. So she's crying and this Vincent guy tells her to shut up and then puts a gun under his pillow and said that that, that he was going to give her more of that in the morning. And then she was really disturbed because he just fell asleep. And it's like what he did to her didn't bother her bother him at all. Like it was the only thing that relaxed him. Like hurting her was the only thing that made him feel good. And so she pulled the trigger. There was blood everywhere. As she tells the story, it switches in a star swipe, JK. But from hikers <laughs> to her on the stand and her lawyer rests as Judith comes to punch on this old woman. Um, did you tell the cops you got hit? I mean, she is fully bullying this woman. She's like, you have no proof about anything. And if all of this happened, why wouldn't you just tell a jury, jury 34 years ago? It's like, you're... And then to me, I'm like, you just said how much it sucks to be a woman and especially back in the day. And now you're pretending you don't know this stuff when you're like, why don't you tell the cops all this information and yeah, just yeah. tell the jury? It's just like, she's not being consistent. She isn't just like 
a fit of her own self-centered rage and she's really not seeing outside of it or acknowledging that this is really revenge. Like, you know why people don't tell cops anything. Yeah. Lenny looks at Olivia in the stands and it gives her power, just the sight. So she starts to talk while crying, even though she really doesn't want to. And Judith Light thinks that she didn't come to court because she was guilty and she knew it. And finally, she cries out, I was pregnant. And they show Jonah, who is so mad and hurt and a lot of emotions on his face and his whole life is crumbling down around him. Judith won't let up and is like, come on. So now you're going to say that hormones made you do it? I mean, it's just wild. So then she explains she ran so she can get an abortion. And Judas stops in her tracks and is shocked and understanding all of a sudden. Like, I think it all fucking hit her um, in that moment. Because you can't get an abortion in prison and she didn't want to have that man's baby. Like, she didn't care about going to prison. She just didn't want his this child growing inside of her. And that's why she wanted to meet Judy to tell her she would plead guilty if she could just please get an abortion. But when she went to see her, she was so strong and confident and she was ashamed of her weakness and she just couldn't tell her. Like, how could a woman like Judith Light ever understand a woman like her? And Judy looks so shocked and, you know, at least she can admit that she's wrong and she's just like, real. you could tell that she is regretting all of these decisions. Benson looks really proud. Um, she's found out guilty for murder, but is found guilty on escape. And uh, they'll meet back at sentencing. And Judith like is like, oh, and by the way, we recommend uh, probation. And the judge goes, I agree. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, Judith Light. And then gavel, gavel. On the way out, Linny asks Judith Light why. And she says an important lesson here, which I, I like that this is. She goes, I was trying so hard to be one of the boys. She forgot why she became a lawyer in the first place. And this is very, something to remember. I feel like this is true in comedy at times too, where you're just like, eh, say whatever, cool guy. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like when you start, there's just so many dudes everywhere. And then you're like, oh God, all these guys are disgusting. Why did I ever? <laughs> Why am I trying to impress cool. these people? Yeah. yeah. They're all just like cheating on their wives with subpar jokes. And then you realize <laughs> how much better your life is not trying to be one of the boys. They're an inferior group. Yeah, Casey, I'm talking to you. No. Um, <laughs> So that's, yeah. So I just, I like that she said that. So then Linny thanks her defense attorney. And Benson and Linny go to try to talk to Jonah. And he says, it's over. He says, I'm happy for you, Linny. But, and she's like, oh no, please don't say it. And he continues and asks, when did you get that abortion? And she says, when you went to the conference in Seattle. And he says, every decision you and I made was based on a lie. He's like, remember, I always wanted children and grandchildren and you stole that from me. And she's like, no, I'm the same girl you loved and married. But also like, was that love based on anything? Like, I'm sure that they've been together for so long now. I'm sure it's real. But like, you also just had nothing. Like, it could have been Jonah or someone else. Yeah, but I think that, like, after... But after five years, after she was like, okay, I don't think I'm getting caught, like, maybe... She could have moved on if she didn't love Jonah. I think she loved him, right? Yeah. I think she did. No, no, no. I think I, they grew into, like, a beautiful relationship. I'm just saying, like, if it was Jonah or someone else, when you have no ID and you're on the run, like, can a guy... Like, yeah. what if it was a different guy that was like, I'll take care of you? I'm sure that would have been great. Yeah. But I'm sure there was something about him because he seemed like such a, like the kind of guy that goes up to a girl who's shivering and freezing over a bowl of soap and a di a soup in a diner. You're either yeah. a really nice guy or a really evil guy, you know? Yeah, you're the guy from Dexter. Yeah. The, the new blood. You can yeah. be him too. Exactly. 
but yeah, she's just like, I'm the same girl. And he pulls away from her. He cannot forgive her. And he wheels off. And she is so sad. And I mean, Benson really uncovered a lot. A lot. I don't. I mean, she could have just left everyone alone. I don't know. Like, this must have been like a two bottle of red night for Olivia. Yeah. This is a lot. Um, she gets taken away and her and Olivia stare at each other and... That's that. That's but typical. can I just say, it's it's horrible that she, d- like, doesn't have Jonah anymore. That's horrible. And, like, she is going to have to kind of start over. But in a way, she's free now. She can, like, leave Manhattan. She can do, like, not live with, like, looking over her shoulder the whole time. You know? Like, yeah. It, I do feel like it's, a, it's like a good thing that happened to Linny, but maybe she did lose Jonah and like kind of everything she knew of her life for the last 34 years or whatever. But let's take a break and we'll be right back with uh, the several true moments to discuss. Okay, we are back. So, all right. So the I first wanted to just touch on the Donnelly piece of this episode because it seems that her whole point of view is based on this New Yorker article called The Upstart about um, a woman named Leslie Crocker Snyder, who this is so Now that's a last name. Now that's a last name. Leslie Crocker Snyder. She's a former prosecutor and judge who twice ran for Manhattan DA. She did not win, but she was an ADA in Manhattan. And she was... As she was campaigning for the first time, she would um, uh, talk a lot about how she became a prosecutor. And she said that in 1968, when she was 25, she joined the staff of um, the DA, Frank Hogan. And she kept saying, she said, quote, I kept asking Mr. Hogan to go to the Homicide Bureau, which was a big bastion of male chauvinism at the time. And he kept putting me off saying I could do, I should do consumer affairs, which is where the few women in the office tended to go. And then finally, one day I said, you know, come on, it's really time, Mr. Hogan. And he said, well, if you bring me a letter of permission from your husband. So that whole letter of permission thing comes right from this article. And that's what that little tidbit was based on. And I just think it's interesting because I feel like Donnelly might be fully based on this woman. She was the first female to try felony and homicide cases as an ADA in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. She founded and led the Sex Crimes Prosecution Bureau, which was the first in the nation, and she co-authored New York State's Rape Shield Law. And she was a legal consultant on Law & Order and Law & Order Trial by Jury, like for Law & Order for 60-plus episodes and Trial by Jury for like as many as they lasted. And then she actually played a judge in three episodes of Law & Order Regular. So... An icon, an icon. But to move on, the Linny storyline is obviously based on many stories of women who are driven to kill their abusive husbands. And um, there's, I'm just going to talk about two cases. So, and they're very, they both have a little bit in common with Linny, but not totally. As you know, the show, they grab a little bit here and there. So the first case is the Marie Dean Arrington case. And, um, Marie Arrington was um, convicted in 1964 of the murder of her husband, Lester Jack Arrington. Jack was a former cop and a nightclub bouncer in Miami. He was killed on July 4th, 1964. Um, And the next day, his wife, Marie, turned herself in and confessed. She said it was an accident. Her lawyer said it was self-defense. They were arguing in the car, and one witness said he saw 
he had seen Jack choking her in the front seat and he went and broke them up. And then I don't know what happened. He walked away and she shot him. There's barely any information about this case. It's like very hard to find. Like a lot of articles where you click on them and the links are dead. So the police never found the weapon. And so she got manslaughter and 20 years in jail. And <sighs> she she later admitted in an interview that she had buried the gun with her husband. Now, Marie was not, not that I'm victim blaming, but she was not Lenny. She was not like a young girl. You know, she had like honestly committed a lot of crimes leading up to this, like writing bad checks, assault, forgery, robbery. She had a rap sheet, okay? Um, and so a few years after this murder of her husband, she had a son and a daughter. Her son and a friend robbed a gas station Nobody was hurt in this robbery and only $60 was taken, which I know in 1968, it's more, $60 is more than $60 now, but it's still not an egregious amount of money. And he was at 18 years old, sentenced to life in prison. And his friend got probation, which honestly sounds like a lot of racist bullshit. Like Marie and her family, they are, they are black. So like putting an 18 year old in jail for the rest of his life for robbing 60 bucks from a gas station feels like, you know. Well, especially if the other guy got probation. Yeah, and I don't know what the race of the other guy was or what the story was. Maybe maybe the son is the one that had a weapon. Like, who knows? You know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, things there, but it's crazy. And the same lawyer, the same defense attorney repped her daughter in a fraud case and she also got jail time. So Marie was like livid at this defense attorney that he didn't get better results for her kids. So when she was out on appeal bond for her manslaughter charge, she went to his office to kill him. And he wasn't there. So she kidnapped his secretary, Vivian Ritter. And then she did kill her. And Ritter, who had three kids, her body was found three days later in the woods near um, a state road, um, a few miles away from Leesburg where this happened. And she'd been shot and run over with her own car repeatedly. Like horrible, horrible. This is really layered. Yeah, very layered. Marie also robbed the home of the judge who had given her son the right the life sentence. So I don't know what her background is. It's not really documented anywhere. I'm sure she lived a life where like crime was her only option. Uh, she was described by others as quote unquote odd and a bad seed. So like, who knows? But I don't think that that, I don't know if I believe in that. I do kind of feel like that's something that happens to you as a result of things in your childhood. But not that there can't be, you know, born psychopaths as there have been episodes of Law & Order chronicling. So on December 6th Well, of it's 19- also like what you can get away with. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm sure like rich Manhattan kids are doing the same bad stuff as like other, whatever. Like if you're a rich white teen, you might be doing the same thing as non-white rich teens. Yes. And getting different punishments that then set you up for different shit too. Totally. So. Exactly. <sighs> yeah, like what is what is robbery? Is it stealing a candy bar? And does who get, you know, so I don't know what her, the the, de- the depth of her charge is, but in but December- mur- Yeah, once you murder the secretary, I'm out. I'm yeah. not on your, I'm not yeah. with you anymore. But so on December of 1968, she's sentenced to death for first degree murder of Vivian. And a year or so later, March of 1969, she escapes from the Florida Correctional Institution in her pajamas by cutting a window screen and jumping out. So that's the There needs to be a movie about her. I know. It's wild. Well, get this. This gets her put on FBI's 10 most wanted list, making her the second woman ever to be on it. And I believe there's only ever been 10 women on it. 
So she's one of the 10 women that have been on it. Um, she was on the lamb for a much shorter time than Lenny, but she did make it three years. And then in March of 1972, they found her and she was working as a waitress in New Orleans. And she got 10 extra years for escaping. So, mm. but that was also back in the 70s. Maybe they've changed it now. But in the 70s, she got 10 extra years for escaping. And then later that year, her death sentence was actually commuted to life because of like U.S. Supreme Court decisions about death penalty. And so she actually died in May of 2014 in, in prison from heart problems at the age of 80. But, I know this is wrong, but I'm for people escaping. Like, if you get to live on the lam and you don't hurt anyone during your escape, I'm all for it. Like, good for you. Fuck the government. Yeah, but like, can people escape and not hurt people? Especially when you're desperate, you have you have no identification, you have no wallet, you have no like no funds. Like, you're desperate, you're gonna like hurt people. I feel like. Yeah, because like even because she hurt Jonah, I guess in theory, you know. Yeah, but Lenny is a perfect example. Like Lenny went on the lam and like lived a perfectly like model citizen life. You know, she didn't hurt anybody, but it does. She was robbing people. It said. You know, she was robbing people and stealing wallets and stealing food, you know, but I don't really care about that kind of stuff. Anyway, that is the case of Marie Dean Arrington. One more case I wanted to bring up um, was an interesting case that I, I had never heard of before, even though there is a movie based on it. Um, and it is the case of Kiranjit Aluwalia. And um, she was in a movie that came out about two years before this episode aired called Provoked. So I wonder if there was some borrowing. But Kiranjit Aluwalia is an Indian woman who she left India in 1977 to go see her sister in Canada. In 79, she goes to the UK where she marries her husband Deepak, who's a man she's only met one time before. I read in other places that it was arranged. I don't know what, you know, maybe it was. Um, and she said, soon into their marriage, he started turning violent against her, habitually beat her, raped her, and deprived her of food. Um, of course, her family said it was her duty to stay in the marriage. They offered her no help when she went to them. She tried running away, but they found her and brought her back. And she had two sons with Deepak. And so in 1989, after a decade of abuse and after that Deepak tried to break her ankles and burn her face with a hot iron, when he was asleep, she made this flammable mixture out of like gas and like sodium carbonate. Like, I don't know, all these things that she knew about somehow, poured it over his bed and set it on fire. And she said, quote, I did decided to show him how much it hurt. At times, I had tried to run away, but he would catch me and beat me even harder. I decided to burn his feet so he couldn't run after me. That's what she says. But she also said in other interviews, I did not mean to kill him. I just wanted to like stop him from hurting me. And so he suffered burns over 40% of his body. And then he died 10 days later in the hospital from complications of the burns and sepsis. So... Goodbye, Deepak. Kiranjit, who could only speak broken English at the time, was arrested and charged with the murder. And then she was convicted in December of 1989. And the prosecution argued that even though he had threatened her with a hot iron, she waited until he was asleep so that she had, quote unquote, time to cool off. And it was considered like premeditated since she waited for him to be asleep. And her lawyer- Yeah, but it's I, like, where were you the whole time where she was getting beaten? For some reason, you well, can't listen. take him away or punish him. But as soon as they're like, we kill a despicable person. Okay, well, you're going away for murder forever. It's like yeah. so fucked. Yeah, so fucked up. And like- 
yeah, but it's, it's, that's like, that was part of like Donnelly's argument with Lenny. It's like Lenny was arguing, I was beaten. And they're like, yeah, but you waited for him to be asleep. And then you shot him six times. That like hardly seems like self-defense. That's their thing. But so it's, it's borrowed in the, in the show. But here's the thing. Her lawyer never brought up the violence at trial. Never brought up that she had endured all this abuse. And they let the prosecution suggest that this happened because she was jealous over Deepak having all these affairs. So, of course, the way that this is framed for the jury is crazy. And this is in the UK as well. So, I don't know what their trial process is compared to ours, but she is found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Thankfully, in 1992, her conviction is overturned on appeal on grounds of insufficient counsel since she, like, since A, her lawyer never brought up any of the prior abuse and Karenjeet had not been made aware that she could plead guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, which I think is their version of like, you know, I guess it's not real. Well, they, we have diminished capacity. So I guess it's that. So um, they also added that she was suffering from severe depression when she committed the crime. I wonder why, which her new counsel argued had altered her decision-making abilities. A retrial was ordered. And on September 25th of 1992, Karanjit was found guilty of manslaughter due to diminished responsibility and sentenced to three years and four months, which was the time she had already served. So she was immediately released. And, um, her case has raised a lot of awareness about domestic violence, but specifically in families that are non-English speaking immigrants in Western countries. And it helped change abuse, uh, domestic abuse laws in, um, in United Kingdom, which is great. And her case is known in British legal textbooks as R versus Alawalia. And um, it changed the definition of the word provocation in cases of battered women. So like it, instead of, it reclassifies it as a manslaughter instead of a murder. And um, yeah, in 2001, she got the, um, she was at the first Asian Women Awards getting recognized for her quote unquote strength, personal achievements, determination and commitment uh, end quote in bringing, you know, domestic violence issues to light. And she wrote an autobiography with uh, an auth a co-author named Rahila Gupta called Circle of Light. And then in this movie called Provoked, we had Naveen Andrews, SVU alum, playing Deepak and Ashwarya Rai, who's a beautiful Indian actress, um, played her role. And apparently during the screening of the movie at Cannes, Karanjit sat next to the actress and was just like holding her hand and crying during like the really bad parts. So I think she was involved in the process of making the movie at least a little bit. So I don't know, we got that movie over here because it was kind of like a UK movie, but... So a few pieces I feel like of Marie and a few pieces of the other case were were uh, folded into the Linny case, but nothing was exactly the same. But I thought that these were two interesting um, cases I had never heard of either of them. I don't even know what to say. The world makes me so mad. I know. I know. But the good news is... They're just so gung-ho to charge a woman with murder for killing an abusive man. Yeah. Like, I, like, I see all the time stories on our news where it's like she got 20 years and all this stuff and it's like but none of you did anything during all the abuse times cool yeah yeah so thank you for doing that yeah but the good news is we have an amazing guest so that is the flip side um and so don't go anywhere we will be back with that guest <laughs> Okay, guys, our guest today on a, I would say if Lisa had made a top 10 list of her guests that she wanted to have on this podcast, this one's on it. I also love this person, but Lisa loves. And uh, she is an iconic actor, a writer, a director. You know her from 90s classics like But I'm a Cheerleader, The Faculty, and She's All That. 
She's works, worked extensively in television, starring in Veep and recently co-creating the show Housebroken and High School. And she's worked on features. She wrote and directed Happiest Season and The Intervention. But you know her today as the tragic character, Mia Latimer. Guys, please enjoy our chat with Clea Duvall. This is so, this is thrilling. You've <laughs> been a, you've been on our list since we started this podcast two years ago. We are thrilled to have you. That's so nice that you thought of me. <laughs> well, your episode is horrifying. Um, it's yes, really, it is. It's very um, exciting. Haunting. It's very haunting. Um, and yet our, our, us and our sick freak listeners have been requesting it, asking for it. So <laughs> here we are. Um, <laughs> but we, I would love to rewind because I've been a fan since like the faculty and But I'm a Cheerleader was one of the most important movies of my life, I would say. Loved it so wow. much. And we had Kathy Moriarty on. Oh, Kathy's amazing. Yeah, oh, she yeah, was we so fun. With her. <laughs> now we yeah. just need to get Natasha and it's like the whole the Oh, whole yeah. Thing. And she was an SV, she's an SVU alum. Oh, um, I know. Well, what I love is you've stayed good friends with like Melanie Linsky and Natasha Leone, and I feel like you work mm -hmm. with your friends so often and they were in your movie, The Intervention. And I just like love that you keep tight friends for decades. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're family, you know? And then you were a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race and we're both fans. And that was, did you enjoy yourself, your time there? It was, it was more exciting than I could have even ever hoped for. It was a it's real dream best. come, it lived, uh, it surpassed what my expectation was. And do you watch the <laughs> it show? It was incredible. Yes, of course. Do you remember when Jeff Goldblum was like crying? He like couldn't believe yes. his eyes what drag was? I really. Yes. <laughs> Loved that moment. I so actually much. wrote yeah. on that season, and that was all real. Jeff Goldblum was really, really gooped to be there. <laughs> like he could not believe his eyes. And there was a longer conversation where he really wanted everyone to explain tucking to him for a long time. And they were like, Jeff, we need to wrap this up. Yeah, but, that's not not a good look. <laughs> but let's talk about your SVU journey here. Okay. So okay. you do this episode like around oh my God, I'm blanking out, like 2009 or something like that, or, or 2010, probably, because uh, it's, it's season 10. Yes, I want to say. <laughs> I, I actually don't know what season or year it was. I don't really think uh, very literally, lin linearly, linearly. time-wise. <laughs> We're assuming it was an offer. It was, yes. yes. <laughs> it was. <laughs> And had you like, had you watched SVU? Were you like, oh, this will be cool? Or were you like, I just have the week free. Let's just do this. Or, you know, like what was your, what was the vibe when you got the call? I had watched it a little bit, but I wasn't like a, a super fan or anything uh -huh. like that. But it was a real, I mean, I, I love Mariska Hargate. I thought, I think she's so cool. And it was, you know, it feels like Law & Order, all of the Law & Orders really feel like a rite of passage for actors. And like it, I, I felt weirdly honored to be like, I, it was like I was getting called up or something um, to get the call. So it was, and it's also just like, it's such a great job. They're so, they're such a wonderful group of people. And, um, you know, you get to go to New York and hang out and be on this iconic show. And it just feels like a real, like, there. why would you ever not do that? Yeah, How did course. you feel reading the scripts? Were you like, what were your initial feelings? Because it's so intense. It's so intense. I mean, that it was intense and that it, you know, it, it was such a, um, it was such a, a cool episode and the twists and turns really, um, it, it was not the sh show that I thought it was going to be, you know, like the, yeah. when, the, when, when my murder happened, I was like, well, what else is going to happen? Just reading the script, I was like, well, what else could possibly 
where could this go from here? And it just kept going. Well, speaking of the murder, the can you explain <laughs> the effects? Because the blood is oh, gushing yeah. hard. <laughs> oh, the blood is gushing hard. It was like they put a ri- this rig on me under my clothes that was almost like a harness that had a, it had like a little metal plate that the knife, um, the knife like hooked into it. So that, so, and then they like cut a little part out of my clothes. So it was like sticking out of me. So I could walk around, you know, like freely with the knife on me. And then they just like pumped blood out. I was, I, I have never had that much fake blood on me. And it was, I ended up having to take a shower in the, in the brownstone that we were shooting in. I had to take a shower because I had so, I couldn't, like they couldn't get, the blood off. There was no point in trying to get the blood off because there was so much blood. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. It was scary. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's physically scary. And then also the situation is so scary because like, I remember like your character is just so like, when she's first telling the story, you're like, you really believe her. And then when you find out that she's be- being abused and then every time when she goes back to him, she's like, yeah, everything's fine. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. You did a really good job of, I think, capturing how the hidden like, complicated that is. Yeah. 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 But in cool things, you play a rich person. Where was the war- <laughs> Do you remember the wardrobe being like extra fancy? It looks pretty fancy. I don't remember. It's funny because when I think of this episode, I think of a wardrobe I wore in another, uh, something else. Like that is the picture that I have in my head, but I know that <laughs> that is not right. Um, I don't remember. Well, you know what? I should have watched it probably to, to remind myself of all Do this. Do you watch <laughs> yourself often? I try, I don't, I don't really, I don't really. Was it hard when you're in stuff that you're directing to edit and stuff when you're in it or no? Horrible, okay. horrible. Like it was like the the first, I mean, the only time that I've ever directed myself, I was sort of fine. I was just like, whatever, I'm in the movie. I did this to myself and wouldn't, didn't really pay that much attention to myself in it. And then when we started doing test screenings and like, there were a couple of people who were like, oh, I thought that maybe you were like a little over at the top at that moment. I was like, well, I'm never going to act again. I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> like it, re- And then I turned on myself and I tried to cut myself out of the movie completely. And the editor was like, you can't do it. You just can't do it. Like you just t- toned down that one moment. It was really excruciating. I hated oh it. I'll God. never do it again. Uh, never. I can only imagine. Just actors. I mean, never say never, but I, I, I don't understand. Like the those actors who are who cast themselves as the lead in their own movies. I'm just like, how can you? Like that's. I, I just don't think I would ever have the 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 confidence to do that. It seems crazy. Now, was the movie based on a couple in your life that you know and judged? <laughs> no, it was. Wait, it was which really, movie are you talking about? Just to be inter- totally clear, the intervention, the intervention. <laughs> okay. No, it was really based on me and this time in my life where I was like a very a pretty active um, alcoholic and was like not doing very well in any in any area of life, and yet I was I always was would thought I knew what was best for everyone else because I was just like not paying attention to my own life. I was really just like, well, why is that person doing this? They should be doing this. I was like real like armchair quarterback for everyone else's lives. And then I had this like, I mean, it was really getting sober. Um, I got so, like I had already written the, the movie 
a draft of the movie. And I, as I was sort of like starting to wrestle with this idea of like, maybe I shouldn't be drinking anymore. And then it really kind of evolved more once I got sober and then was like, oh, this is like, this is, <laughs> this is me thinking that like avoiding my own problems and thinking that I know what's best for everybody else and focusing on that. Yeah, I feel like more. I've just been read fully, but I feel <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Fully. I actually was grabbing this wine glass, as you said. Um, I was, and I was like, oh, I'll put it right um, right back. Um, okay, back to SVU. Was your um, TV husband normal? Like, what was his vibe? Off, off yeah. camera. Oh, yeah, totally nice. <laughs> nice like, guy. So nice, yeah. It's all, I always feel bad for the guys who have to play the really bad guys because they're yeah. always... I feel like they have, then are, like, overcompensating to be like, I'm not really like this. I'm actually yeah. a pretty nice guy. You know, I have a dog. We talk to so many of them, and they're all like, yeah, people come up to us on the subway and are like, you can't hit women or whatever. And they're like, yeah. we don't... We're not... That's not who we are. Yeah. Um, so, people, I'm sure. Yeah. The audiences really take it. Seriously. I mean, yeah. it's true. You, you can't hit women. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. He sh- And he should know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you... So speaking of people coming up to you, what do you get? What do people come up to you for the most, do you find? I, I mean, it's really like kind of a... I don't know if there's just one. I feel like it's but a mature leader, the faculty, and Veep. Our yeah, it we're depends on like ones. what they watch. Yeah. yeah, we're huge Veep. Like, did you get to work with Maloney on Veep? No, Christopher Maloney? I wish. No. <laughs> no, but his character on Veep was so, so funny. funny. So I was just funny. wondering because in this SVU, you're so cl- you do so much one on one with Marishka, but I don't think Christopher Maloney is even in it. Is he like on a break this episode? Like, I, and then, I don't know. Yeah, and then you, and then I was wondering. Oh wow, that would be so fun if she actually did get some Maloney FaceTime at Veep, but. I guess not. Um, <laughs> and your character was so interesting because I had seen you in a lot of things, but I had never seen you be somebody like so stoic and like so serious. So I was it like, was, oh, this is a cool departure. <laughs> it was a really fun, it was a fun character. Hard to stay so blank when everyone yeah. else is so funny, but I figured out how to slip into his own. Yeah. Just, it was like a funny joke in itself. Just you existing was like yeah. such a fuck you to the veep. Um <laughs> Oh, I this I sometimes I ask way too specific questions and then I feel bad. But no, there's specific, I like, a moment. <laughs> well, because sometimes we'll talk to people and they're like, that was 15 years ago. I don't know why you'd think I'd remember that audition. And I'm like, well, we're we're worried about it. But there was a line read where you, she was explaining what has to happen to you to like leave this man. And when they brought up the shelter, you were like, like a homeless person. And I just really liked that line read. See, too specific. Oh, I don't. <laughs> well, I should have watched it. I should have watched it. Is it a scene with me and the, with the three ladies? I think it's more. It's we? you and Marishka, and I think maybe the the neighbor. Yeah. Bar- well, how was it like working with Brenda Blethen? It was great. It was really cool. She's like a really pretty. Cool. Yeah, she's like a legendary lady. Um, it was because there was a scene with the three. of It's kind of coming back to me now. There was a scene with the three of us, right, where we're all talking yeah. about what I'm yeah. going to do. And you're like, I that's remember, when you reveal like how you you grew up poor and like, you know, what are you supposed to do now? And Yeah. I think that I maybe was having a hard time with that scene. I'm having a memory where maybe I was struggling a little bit with that scene. It's always, every job I do, there's always one scene that undoes me. And I think that was that. I think oh, that wow. one was the one. Are they similar? And I don't know why. Like are no. all the scenes? No, I don't know. 
No, it's like a, co- it's a very weird random thing that happens where it's just like, well, I don't know how to do the scene. And so it's what do you do? Real. You nailed it. You just keep going, you just keep going and then you trust the director. Wow. You just go, you're like, is this what you want? Am I doing the thing that you want? Because it's also <laughs> like, actors have no idea what, like, they cannot ever know how they're coming across. So like, that's when you really, that's why, I mean, some actors don't need it, but like some actors really rely on the director to help them know if they're on the right track. And I am one of those actors for sure. Yeah. Which is I, why working with myself as a director was a nightmare. Because everything I did, work. I was like, that sucked. You shouldn't have done it like that. Yeah. I've done like small acting parts and like I did one where I just kept asking the director, I was like, is this it? Is this what you want? Speaking of, they had me in like full Elaine Bennis hair from like, cause it was a flashback to the late eighties uh-huh. and like, <laughs> or early nineties. And I was like, is, am I doing the right thing? And he just kept going, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no, I need you to tell me. Yeah. So. That, I mean, yeah, whatever is not the response. That yeah. <laughs> that is he not. He was like, yeah, yeah, you're doing it. And I was like, it doesn't really, I don't believe you. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Maybe that's on me. So so obviously you're, sorry, I was just going to say like, obviously your like experience as an actor informs your experience as a director. You do, you just like take all that with you. So when actors are like leaning on you, you know what that's, how important that is. And like. Yeah, absolutely. You know. It's also that every actor is different, you know. Right. There's no sort of like, you know, blanket direction that you can give to every single person on the cast. Like everybody's going to need something different. And right. Yeah. I just worked with one director who's like, what, what do you need? And I said, positive reinforcement. But then uh-huh. it <laughs> fucked me up because I didn't believe any of the compliments because I fully asked for them. And so yeah. that kind of fucked me up in my head. But yeah. we also talked to a lot of actors where that's for you. And they say sometimes an offer is harder than an audition because an audition at least informs like someone liked something. And oh, then yeah. when they yeah. just give it to you, you're kind of. Yeah. Just yeah. flying blind. You feel like you're auditioning on the spot and they can't fire you. Right. <laughs> Where you're just like, well, you're stuck with me. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, offers are weird. But like, and everybody, I mean, what we've heard also is that Marishka is very supportive of people. Like when you got, do you remember doing very. these scenes with her that were like so like heartbreaking and like, she's like, I mean, her character yeah. sleeps in the, in a in a hallway to protect you. She's so invested. Like. Yeah. She's a great detective. <laughs> Even after we, after we finished, I want to say, like, I think that she called me a couple of times after I, after we finished. I know that she called me when that, like, she saw the episode and she said, she was like, you did such a good job. The episode's great. Like, great job. And then we just like chit chatted a little bit. And then I feel like she saw me in something else and she called me again, I want to say. I mean, she has your number. Maybe that's, maybe she only called, (laughs) maybe she only called me once. I don't remember. It is Christmas time. How do you feel? Happiest season, probably being in people, like a holiday movie, like where I'm doing Christmas, that was on our list of what we're definitely watching with the family stone. But was that out last Christmas or two Christmases ago? Two Christmases ago. Okay, I was like, It was 2020. It was 2020. Yeah, because it was like, not that I think anybody wanted the pandemic to happen, but a great thing for your movie because I feel like everybody watched it. <laughs> like, yeah. It was a real was home and like, yeah, it, it was the the timing. The timing was good. 
um, for, I mean, just that, I mean, not the timing was good, that it's great that everybody was stuck inside because of a global <laughs> pandemic where millions right. of people died. Um, but it was, you know, I think the, a good time for that movie to come out for sure. Cause the, it was so, the holidays were so weird. Um, yeah. To say the least. And, you know. No, it was fun because it was like one of those movies that like a bunch of my friends, we were all just like, everybody was just texting being like, have you watched that yet? You know, like it, it was like a water cooler movie where we were, were in, like there was no water cooler to be found, <laughs> yeah. you know, because we were just all trapped. Um, well, it's like a new classic because I feel like you have either like Hallmark where it's like cheesy and wa- like um, something specific. And then only like a few really good holiday movies and I feel like it was one of them. Thank you so much. It yeah. really, I, I, I'm so happy that I got to, to make that movie at all. I really, it was really, really special and so cool that it is, that people are still watching it. Like Christmas movies become a part of your life in a way that other movies don't. And that was like the fact that we were able to make a movie that is doing that is just really, I, I it's so cool. And then you you are now writing on stuff. You you are directing. Like, what's the, what are you like leaning towards? Or are you trying to just be a jack of all trades? Or are you just like, I'm going to put acting a little bit on the back burner while I direct for a while? Or what, what's your? Yeah, I mean, I, I really love writing and directing. I find it to be so fulfilling in a way that is just, and it's also new, you know? I think acting is, I've been doing it since I was 18 and I do really love it. But I think- before I wanted to act, I wanted to write. I've always loved writing. And so to be able to go back to that and be able to make things and, you know, tell the stories that I want to tell and hire actors that I really love and work with crews, like, on a more intimate way, like, it's really, um, I don't know, I'm just fine. I'm just very inspired by it right now. So it is. And it's also so time-consuming that you can't really do anything else. You know, that I have a show right now that um that just came out and we're work we have we're not picked up for a second season, but we have a we we're doing a mini room and it's just it's time it takes forever. Like I yeah. can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine I mean I, I have been writing and acting at the same time and it's just but it's it's harder to bounce back and forth, you know, because I, I I like getting sort of lost in the process of writing and and then once once you're in production, forget it. Like, you can't leave. Yeah. No, it's wild. I feel like every time I'm on a set, I'm newly surprised, like, how long everyone's there and how hard people work. I'm always just like, oh, geez, yeah. you guys are, like, really putting in all the hours. Yeah. And it always yeah. surprises me. And I don't know why. I just don't know <laughs> how people have a life. But going back to back in the day, you kind of had a really iconic um, hairdo and the faculty, oh, yeah. but I'm a cheerleader. Do you feel like, was that you coming into it or did they make you cut your hair? I feel like that you're even pre-Beckham. You're pre-Posh Spice in terms of that fun hairdo. Yeah. that No, that was my, that was me. That was the haircut that I had in my real life. Yeah. And the reason, and my hair is like a little bit curly. So that's why it, my hair is always so greasy because I would, I didn't know how to style. I didn't know how to make my hair straight. So I would just put a bunch of shit in my hair to like kill the wave basically. Oh, it looks very straight and silky in your SVU episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, if a, if I have a professional... If someone does it professionally. Yeah, for, like, <laughs> I, but I do not have those skills. Um, yeah, yeah. But me trying to blow dry my own hair even now is really embarrassing. 
I don't do that. <laughs> That's very embarrassing. Kara has amazing And it's hair. only like part of my hair will be straight and the back of my head will still be like really curly. So that's not a good one. Yeah. I have crazy curly hair and it's been a lifelong struggle to tame it and deal with it. But well, I'm I'm also looking at your IMDB here at this this animated show called Housebroken that has like all these so fun cute. people in it. Like Maria oh, Bamford yeah. is like a friend of mine through stand-up. And then you've got like all these people like Lisa Kudrow and like what this is amazing. And this is your yeah. your this is a no, you're a creator, a creator of this too. Yeah, I created it with um, two of the writers from uh, Veep, Gabby Allen and Jen Crittenden. Um, and they, I just loved them so much. And um, we talked about, we were just talking about working on something else together. And I had this idea and I told it to them and they immediately had an idea that made the, my, the idea better. And um, it evolved into, and then we all started talking about it together and it evolved into the show. And it's just, it's so much fun. And the cast is out of control and um yeah it's like actually who's who yeah and we have two episode holiday episodes airing this sunday um because we've been off the air since last summer and then um we have these episodes airing and then we have a full season airing again next summer but um it's really a blast it's such a funny show and i had always wanted to do animation before i never had and so it's been really i've learned a lot and really um uh i really love it yeah, animation is such a different thing. It seems like it seems like for writing, it's so fun because you can really write anything to happen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about like budget or whatever. But then you know, just like thinking about how visually jokes are going to land, it's like a, just a totally different thing. Yeah, you know, it really is. And you, all, I think, because I also like, I have such a like practical brain when I'm writing live action that it's like, okay, well, you're not going to be able to do have like explode a house. Like, right. But in animation, you can literally do anything, create anything. And like, once I sort of got into that, like no sort of no holds barred imagination, it really unlocked something and just is so fun. Well, it's also cute. Like you get to be a cute thing. Yeah, you know, like a cartoon. Yeah, you get to be like a little a, corgi. Yeah, like that's my character is a corgi. Yeah, <laughs> and now I love corgis, an animal that I never thought twice about. But now really, they're so cute. Yeah, I think they're so cute. They're the they have like no one told butts. me they have like butts that look like people butts. Like yeah, I just see them hearts. on these. Uh, my kids into baby animal. Um, Instagram, so I see a lot mm. of corgi butts floating in water. Anyway. <laughs> and they're just um, always smiling. They're low to the ground, but they're fluffy. It, they're just really kind of perfect. Would you get it yeah. tattooed on yourself, you feel? Uh, no. No, no, no. I don't, I, but I'm not going to get any more tattoos, I don't think. That's like my dream to be a cartoon character so then I can get it tattooed. And then You could it. get my character tattooed <laughs> yes. on you if you Yeah, want. that's a great idea. Yeah. I would get a corgi. I have a lot of corgi merch, to be honest, if I'm being... Fully regular. You do. Well, you should watch the watch the watch Housebroken. I should see this little corgi in action. Well, just to like close out the SVU questioning, like, do you have any like do you have any other like memories from doing it or like little stories or anything you think our listeners would like be excited about? I mean, it was really just the getting the call from Marishka and like working with her and and then having her really like take an interest and be so genuine and. It really, I don't know. I whenever there's someone like that out there, and you work with them, and they they understand what their position can do, and like some people use that to like scare people or you know make people feel bad, and then other people um, really use it to like 
elevate the people around them. And she is really someone who did that. And it was just, it it really meant so much to me because as an actor, you can really, especially as a guest star on a television show, you can feel so insignificant because in some ways you are, because you are, you're just like, in network TV, if you're a guest star in one episode, like they're just going to do it again 20, 21 more times with yeah. other people. And you're, you know, you can really just feel disposable and, and it just, it really just felt like her, the way she treated me and and everyone that I know who's been on it. I don't know. It's really, it's really important and really like turn something that could, that could be very forgettable into something really meaningful. Wow, yeah. That's beautiful. And you did yeah. really good. Like it was. Yeah. Perfect. You're really great in the episode. Have you died on so screen good. before? Oh yeah. I've died. Oh, yeah. I've died a lot. Oh Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, not only are you friends with like Natasha Leone and Melanie Linsky, who you work with a lot, but like high school, Tegan and Sarah, I feel like you've worked with them. Yes. And the like on social media, I feel like everyone that I followed was talking about high school. So good. Oh, really? Yes. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Um, people were really excited. And will you wait? Will you tell me where it's on? What is it on? Where do I watch high school? High school is on, um, it's on Amazon Freebie, which is oh, its own app. But then yeah. you can also watch it on Prime. Okay, so got it. Amazon gives you a couple of ways to watch it. And I don't know if that makes it more or less confusing, but you can definitely find it. Yeah, because um, freebies like they're free platforms. So more people can probably get to yeah, it. Yeah, they're oh, awesome. Based, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's based on Tegan and Sarah's memoir about their years in high school and sort of coming of age and becoming musicians and, you know, discovering their sexuality. And um, it's really, um, I I loved their book so much. And as soon as I read it, I called Tegan and just said, you please let me make this into a television show. And um, it's been really, um, I'm, I, I, I'm, I've really loved the experience of making it and, um, but I'm not really on social media very much, so I haven't seen any of that. But I'm happy that people are talking about it. Yeah. Wait, um, was it so fun nice. to cast your friends as little kids or like teens? Like, was the the casting fun? It was. Yeah, it was fun. But it was also just like what we were looking for was insane. You know, like that we had to find twin girls that were the right age who were queer. Just felt yeah. like uh, I like we were insane and I thought we were going to have to pull like an orphan black type situation with just one actor. But it, um, Tegan was on TikTok and saw one of the twins in a video and then discovered that she had a twin sister and then reached out to them and they auditioned. And it was like a very scary thing to do to cast them because they were just, you know, pe- they were not actors. They were working in pizza restaurants in Fresno and just Damn. got, we just picked them up out of their lives and brought them and cast them as the leads on a television show. It was such an insane thing to do, but they worked so hard. Rayleigh and Season, who played Tegan and Sarah and did such an incredible job. And it was really just, it felt like this very, um, like fate that they appeared. I mean, it really cool. fell, <laughs> fell into our laps. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. TikTok, yeah. I mean, you just like changed these twins' lives. Yeah. And TikTok. Give TikTok a, a little bit of a pass. And TikTok. Yeah, I don't think people are talking about TikTok enough. <laughs> yeah. And they're not giving TikTok enough credit, you know? Like, no. we just need to be... Well, <laughs> we need to be listen, the algorithm, the algorithm is getting something right. 
Yeah. So yeah. they were looking for teen twins and a teen twin was delivered. They're, yeah. They have they have the most scary algorithm. But that is really cool. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna check that out. High school on freebie on is it called freebie? Did I say it's, right? Yeah. Amazon <laughs> yeah, free, freebie. Amazon freebie and Amazon Prime. Amazing. Yeah. All the Amazon yeah. places. All the Amazons, yeah. Perfect. You're really crushing it. You made the pivot to writing, directing so good. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to work with so many brilliant writers and directors that I learned so much from. And it's, you know, it's really just pay, paying attention to other people doing it well and yeah, you know, keeping my eyes open and my mouth shut. Yeah, because you've been in the business for so long. It's like, I'm sure you picked up stuff that you should use and stuff that you would not, you would never want to use. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Working with the, with, with directors who were not the greatest actually taught me just as much of like, yeah. don't do that. This is, this is a great way to get an actor to turn on you in a scene. Um, to not, don't do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm so excited to hear, I'm so excited to keep an eye out for stuff you have coming up and, um, yeah. And I'll be watching then, Happiest Season this Christmas. Yeah. Then oh. <laughs> you're going to have like, a new Christmas classic. I watch it every year. That's what we're doing. That makes me really happy. Thank you for watching it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, she is so accomplished. God, doing so many things like acting, directing, the writing, the a- animation, live action, movies. I know so much and also living our dream. I mean, you were there, but being a, a judge on Drag Race, being able to be... Um, in the vibe with that crew is pretty incredible. And, and you yeah. know, she put drag queens in her the happiest season as well, Dela and... Jinx, you know, Jinx and Dela, baby. Well, they are the Christmas queens. I mean, you gots to put them in your movie if you're doing a Christmas movie. They are Jinx and Dela's Christmas. We should go see that live sometime. That'd be so fun. I, of um, course. No, it was really cool. This podcast is so fun to do for many reasons, but it is also like, sometimes I'm like... Are you fucking kidding me? Like to me and talk to a person that I've been following their work for decades does it's just like too yeah. good to be true. I just like, <laughs> can't believe it. And you still haven't seen, but I'm a cheerleader. We gotta watch that. I together. know. I gotta watch that. I gotta watch it. But because it is, and you have Melanie Linsky. You have so many stars that you still love today. Natasha Leon. Like you love RuPaul. Yeah. Like, we love these people, so... It seems like it's going to be right up my alley, and I'm going to really love it, so I'm excited to watch it. I also loved knowing that the blood was really squirting. JK, of course, we saw it, but, like, she was... I love her being like, there was so much blood pouring all over (laughs) my body. Um, And that she was, like, walking around set with a knife. I really love seeing photos of people on set in, like, Victorian outfits drinking a Diet Coke. Have you seen those? Yeah. Like, uh, Kristen Dunst and Marie Antoinette and stuff. Well, yeah, they're, they're, like, famously, somebody left a Starbucks cup on a table in an episode of Game of Thrones. So there's like a Starbucks cup in the final cut. But, um... Well, you know, I, I had to wear um, a strap-on for pause with uh, yes. Sam J. And, and then that was the day that she got everyone an ice cream truck as a thank you. And so we went and got our ice creams with our full strap-ons on. Like, there was just like <laughs> seven women with dicks on walking around set. Where did that come from? That's walking story? around set with like um, the item, like oh. bring on Marie Antoinette <laughs> cigarettes. Okay. Like she's walking around with a knife. I thought we were talking about like the Diet Coke of it all, but then it's a full strap on. I was confused. Well, no, her walking around with a knife and we were walking around with dicks. Yes. Well, we've also gotten to talk to two people that had to wear that knife breastplate thing because we talked to Mike Doyle about the same fucking thing and it's wild that, oh my God. 
that like that scene. This ep- this episode is really really like haunting and tough because it is it does really show domestic violence. I feel like in a way that a lot of people. I mean, I don't know that maybe we haven't seen on network television in such a violent way. And it was... It's, um, it's just like the actual hardships and realities of escaping abuse are complicated as fuck. And um, it's a pet peeve of, I bet you, as what well, like when people yeah. make it so simple and yeah. have no empathy or understanding when people are like, why... And Benson even did this here. Like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you do that? What about this? Why do you need an abortion? Like, people making judgments and questions about people's lives that are like so complicated and difficult. Yes. And being so black and white about stuff that that isn't. Like, she has no money, no education, nothing, no family. Right. And she just and needs now- to escape. If he hadn't killed her, he's trying to now saddle her with his children. So now she really can't leave. You know what I mean? Like, this is why I feel like the plan B storyline up top, we hated that pharmacist, but also like it just highlights the importance of reproductive rights for women because pregnancy and children in a lot of, for a lot of women are like the final nail in the fucking coffin when you're with an abusive guy. It makes it much harder to leave, you know? Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, Lenny living with this trauma for so long and how laws were not protective of women at all and we still have to fight for laws to protect women Mm. and abuse victims of all genders. And it's just, I'm grateful to SVU and I feel like a lot of people that should be watching it probably aren't, but it's just like, it gives so much understanding to things that even, you know, we work so hard to understand everything and this this episode is just so clear in its messaging, I feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Like, and we have Judith Light realizing her mistakes and yes. seeing her make a mistake and come to terms with it. The judges, it was also like a great female actress episode, you know? Totally. Yeah. Donnelly had her moment. We had Cleo. We had Brenda Blethyn, another, you know, icon. So this was a good one. And yeah, along those same lines there, we'll get into our What Would Sister Peg Do, which is our weekly segment where we try to point you guys to an organization, a resource, website, article, book, something that will give you more info on what we talked about in today's episode. And um, because domestic violence shelters are so, uh, you know, geographically linked. Uh, I wanted to highlight the website domesticshelters.org. They're the first and largest online and mobile searchable directory of domestic violence shelters. So you don't have to look up like you could just go to domesticshelters.org and that will tell you what's the closest near you and um, or near a friend or somewhere else. So you can like look, it's like Google of domestic shelters and uh, it's the US and Canada. And they're a really helpful resource for people experiencing and working to end domestic violence. If you'd like more info, it's domesticshelters.org. And as always, we'll be saved as a story in our WWSPD highlight on our Instagram, which is that's messed up pod. Thank you so much. And if, um, you know, maybe if your New Year's resolution is to spring clean or whatever, like shelters are also a great place to drop off clothing, beauty supplies, tampons, hair products, things for, you know, toys for kids, um, outfits so women can go to job interviews. Like yeah. uh, shelters are a really great place to send your resources to help local people. Um, that need help in your neighborhood. Um, So on top of just finding shelters, like it's just a great place to give extra 
maybe you want a lifetime supply of tampons. I got a place for you to give them. <laughs> um, and then next week, we'll be doing Home Invasions, season 13, episode 14. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I don't know what to tell you. We got Peacock. Oh my God, the per- the person who made Kara a hat knit me a hat in Sacramento too and made it peacock colors because people are obsessed with the way, with the way you say, say peacock. peacock. <laughs> um, and Hulu and all that good stuff and happy fucking new year and we'll see you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.